Okay, well, I tell you, when it, when it gets, when it rains like this, it gets so muggy, doesn't it? You just can't help but sweat, no matter what you do. Up here wiping my brow off. All right, let's begin today. So, as you know, we, uh, we've been studying uh, baptism the last few weeks. And if you've been here, we've gone quite a, we've gone quite a, quite a detail into it. And I hope you've been able to glean some things that perhaps... Perhaps you didn't know, or perhaps you knew, and we've refreshed your memory. We'd help you maybe to understand why we are baptized, what's the reason behind it, what does Scripture say about the, the command to be baptized, the, the reason we do it, the reason we consider it to be essential uh, for us to be saved. And we talked about what the apostles were saying in the book of Acts, right, and how they taught baptism, the necessity, the importance of it, and how in Acts, every time you see a conversion, uh, you've got a baptism, no matter what. You may not say every time you've got to be baptized, but it happened, and it happened immediately. It wasn't a week later or a month later. It happened right then. And how Peter and Paul, we went through some of their letters and saw how they preached baptism and stressed the importance of it, talked about it, how that was a water baptism and that was needed uh, unto salvation. And then we looked at many of the objections people have today as to the essentiality of uh, baptism, right? Of course, you've heard them, I'm sure, if you've talked to someone that doesn't believe baptism is necessary for salvation. And one of them was the thief on the cross, right? The thief that was crucified with Christ. And Jesus said, until this day, on this before you will be with me in paradise. And we know that thief was saved, of course, but we understand that was still under the old law. It was still before Jesus had died. It was still before the command in Matthew 28 to go out into all the world, making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So really you could say this about any Old Testament character, right? Because it was all the same. You could say it about Moses. You could say it about David, Elijah, any, any of the characters we read about in the Old Testament, the godly, godly men, right, that, that came before the thief on the cross. So really, it's not relevant to the question. It's not really relevant at all. We also talked about the household of Cornelius and how when Peter was sent, or when Cornelius was told to send for Peter, and Peter and his traveling companions came to Cornelius' household. And of course, Cornelius was a Gentile, a centurion uh, of the Roman army, and he was a very devout man, but he did not know the gospel yet. And he was told to send for Peter who would deliver unto him words unto salvation, words that they might be saved. And when Peter came... The Spirit fell on them and they began to speak in tongues. As Peter said, he began to speak. So they had not heard those words yet, even though they had the Spirit. And you might hear someone say, well, well, Cornelius and his family were saved. They had the Spirit, right? Well, not exactly. They hadn't heard those words yet. And then when Peter's giving his account to the council in Jerusalem in Acts 11, he said, who was I to withhold baptism, Right? Who was I to hold baptism from these who God had chosen? And it was really, at that point, we see it was really more for Peter and his companions' sake to fully understand that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. We also looked at Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians when he's dealing with some issues going on in the Corinthian church there in chapter 1. There was divisions going on, right, because of the Corinthians were saying, well, I'm of Apollos because I was baptized by Apollos, or I am of Cephas because I'm I was baptized by Peter. And Paul's trying to say, that, no, 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 no. You are of Christ. You're of Jesus Christ. You're baptized in Jesus Christ. 
And then he makes that statement. He says, I didn't come to baptize. I came to preach the gospel. And how some will say, well, that mean, must mean that Paul didn't think baptism was important. On the contrary, all you have to do is read Romans 6, the first few verses, right? How, how we're buried with him in baptism, raised to newness of life, crucified him with him through our baptism. So we understand that it was very important, but Paul was simply making this statement in the context of what was going on there. He was making the statement that said, look, my, I'm an apostle. I'm, I was sent to preach. Just because I might have baptized you doesn't mean you're of me. I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are of Christ. You've been bought with a price. You are now part of the kingdom, his church, kingdom on earth. That's the kingdom of heaven on earth, his church. You're part of that church. You've been added, added to the church, just like the 3,000 souls were added on the day of Pentecost. We also talked about how some will say, well, baptism's a work, and you're not saved by works. Baptism it's not necessary because you're saved by grace. All you got to do is believe, have the faith. Well, we talked about that a little bit, right? And how true, baptism is something that's done. So you might say it's a work in that sense, but it's not a work of merit. We're not earning our salvation. It's the work of the Spirit, right? In fact, you could say it's the most passive thing we do when we're obeying the gospel, right? You got to repent, right? We know that from Acts 2. We know that from Acts 3, right? You got to believe, of course. If you don't believe, why be baptized? And you got to be willing to serve him, confess his name. All these things have to be done. Those are active things, things that we have to do, right? Sure, salvation is not earned, it's a free gift of God. We know that. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 tells us that. But there is a plan to obey. I remember hearing a teacher in college one time talking about that and said, if I give you a gift, you know, it's free. You don't have to do anything to get it, right? But if I say, I'm going to lay it on this table right here, and after class, you got to come up here and get it, it's still free. You may have to walk up here and get it, but it's still free. And that's kind of the same analogy people use when they say baptism is a work. you got to do something to get it. No, it's a free gift. Absolutely. I mean, salvation is a free gift. Baptism is just simply part of that plan. We talked about Holy Spirit baptism and how some will try to say in Scripture, when you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and how that can't be true. It really only happened a couple of times, once on the day of Pentecost and once when Cornelius and his household were baptized in the Spirit. So many of these things you hear and can easily be refuted or rebuked simply looking at Scripture. And then we looked at a few other things on baptism that we see uh, today out in the world. One is, is uh, the baptism by sprinkling or baptism by pouring, not immersion. And we looked at the Greek word baptizo, right? And how that, in the Greek, that actually means to immerse, to plunge. And any Greek lexicon will tell you that. Any good, upstanding Greek lexicon will tell you that. And how the word baptism was really not a translation of the Greek word, it's a transliteration. Simply taking the Greek word and changing some of the letters to make it English or English word. And so we understand in the first century, baptism meant to immerse. We also read about the Ethiopian eunuch, right? In Acts 8, he said, here is water. What happened to be baptized? And it says that they went down into the water, and then he was baptized, and he came up out of the water. 
So we understand that immersion is really the only biblical way to baptize someone. And then last week we looked at what is called infant baptism, right, which is practiced by many denominations in the world today, and how we really said, well, it's not really baptism, it's infant sprinkling, right, infant pouring, really, and how this is not biblical. There's no example of a baby being baptized. All examples of baptism are after what? Someone who believes, has faith, and is penitent. And we all that from the Ethiopian Union. We got it laid out right there where he says, what hindered me baptized? And what did Philip say? If you believe with all your heart, you may. So we understand there's something that has to be occurring before you're baptized to make it real, right? Make it part of Scripture. Make it in obedience to what God commanded there. Infant baptism is not biblical baptism. And so we've looked at all these things, and you know, a lot of these things seem to be common sense, right? But yet you still have to know the scripture. You still have to understand things to make a defense for your faith, right? Before you talk to someone about these things. The last one we're going to look at today, and this is something that's not so much refuting what someone might say, but it's on be, being rebaptized or being baptized again, perhaps because the first time or prior time, you weren't really baptized in the right way or in the right mode or by the proper authority. We're going to look at this a little bit today. And this might be more realistic to some of you because there's probably some of you that came from a denominational background and have been pondering the question, or maybe you were rebaptized, or maybe it's something you've wondered about in your life, right? We're going to look at that today. Well, we, we've seen how baptism is essential. All you got to do is read Mark 16, 16, right? He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. You can't get any plainer than that, right? Of course, many people try to wordsmith that. I've heard it before. If you believe and are baptized or saved, but if you don't believe, you will be condemned. And they'll use the second part of it and say, well, that negates the first part. What? But that's what people will try to do. Or Matthew 28, going to all the world, making disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pretty simple, right? Seems so. Acts 2.38, repent and be ye baptized in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Ghost for the remission of your sins. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? We've also seen where immersion is what they did in the first century, not pouring as I just described. We talked about how you have to be a penitent believer. Uh, it's for sinners who have faith in Jesus Christ who understand they're sinners, who understand they need to turn from their sinful ways, turn their lives over to God, become a Christian, a disciple, a servant, a follower of Christ, and not infants, because infants can't do that. Or at least as far as I know, they can't. Have you ever seen an infant that could believe and repent and be baptized that way? Don't think so. So, obviously the last question is, what about if someone was baptized for another reason, what about them? In other words, those who might have been baptized as an infant, those who might have not been immersed, those who perhaps were baptized believing that they were already saved. Interesting questions, right? Interesting things that you might need to ponder. And as one of the elders, we've had Meetings with folks 
that have come here in that situation, and we've had to talk about that, discuss that. Talk to them about what they believe their baptism was. Yes, sir. Interesting, yeah. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees would say, why, is, why was John baptizing? Right, because they knew the importance of it. Yeah, absolutely. Very good point, Kurt. Well, let's open our Bibles up to Acts chapter 18. I want to show you something here as we begin to discuss this today. <coughs> and we actually have a case in Scripture, I don't, maybe you didn't know this, where someone was baptized a second time. Someone was rebaptized. And let's read about that first before we begin our lesson today. Turn in Acts 18 and let's begin reading in verse 24. <clears throat> Acts 18, 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross in Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed the grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. All right, here we have Apollos introduced, all right? And he was pretty prominent because you got the folks in Corinth saying they're of Apollos because he baptized them, right? Apollos was a Jew. He was from Alexandria, which is actually in Egypt, right? You've heard of ancient Alexandria, the big lighthouse, right? That's one of the seven wonders of the world that was there and all that stuff. So he may have been a proselytized Jew. He may have been Greek, or maybe he was born Jew, but he was Greek. He had a Greek name, Apollos. But he had only heard the baptism of John. He'd only heard the things of the Lord that he'd been taught and heard of John, not of Jesus. He's speaking boldly in the synagogue about the things of the Lord. And then when Aquila and Priscilla hear him, they take him aside. Apollos, this is great, but we need to tell you about this Jesus. You only know about the baptism of John. We need to talk about that. Now, we don't see the words Apollos was baptized in the name of the Jesus, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But you can infer pretty much that happened here. And the next few verses are going to tell us why. But before I do that, I want you to know something else, too. This is kind of a digression, but did you see how when he went into Achaia, they wrote to the brethren there and told them about him? Have any of you ever gone to a congregation and had the elders write a letter for you? Raise your hand if that's ever happened. I know some of your older folks have done that, right? 
We used to do that for some, you know, back in the old days. I know that was something that was done. We don't seem to do that anymore, right? But that's a good thing. That's scriptural, right? Writing ahead, letting others know that this man coming is a devout Christian man. And you should accept him just as we have. Doesn't mean you need to, don't need to check him out, you know, and make sure about these things, but having that reference is wonderful. We don't seem to do that anymore. Anyways, I digress. Moving on, reading on. Let's read what happens now in Acts 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, And to what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized, baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. All right, so what do we have here? Well, we've got Apollos preaching the baptism of John, preaching about the Lord, but he didn't know the gospel yet. He hadn't heard about Jesus. He didn't know the baptism of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And then we have these men in Ephesus who are doing the same. And Paul says, well, wait a minute. Have you heard about the Holy Spirit? And they say, well, no, we've not heard about the Holy Spirit. What were you baptized into? What was your baptism about? Well, we know the baptism of John. The Spirit had not been given yet. They didn't know anything about it. So, what does Paul do? He rebaptizes them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And guess what? Then they got the Spirit. Interesting, isn't it? You see, the Spirit didn't come before their baptism, that he got the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, as it's told in Acts 2. Baptized for Mr. Sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, these guys got the miraculous gifts. They were speaking tongues and so forth, which we know have passed. We don't have those anymore. But they received that spirit. Not in the same way that Cornelius did or the apostles did on Pentecost. That was different. They received that gift the same as we received that gift when we are made part of the kingdom, when we become children of God after our baptism. All right, so Paulus had been teaching the baptism of John. Quilla and Priscilla know about the baptism of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teach him more eloquently. Most likely, Apollos was rebaptized. It doesn't say that, but I, I can think you can infer from that passage that's what happened. Paul has these disciples at Ephesus rebaptized. All right, some observations. Well, obviously, they'd been previously baptized, right? But their baptism was lacking something. I mean, why would you need to be rebaptized if their baptism was accurate? Right? It was of immersion, and we know that from Mark 1. We know that John's baptism was in a baptism being immersed, and we know it was for remission of sins. All you got to do is read Mark 1 4. John was preaching a baptism of repentance for remission of sin. That was occurring, but this was not in the name of Jesus, this was not by his authority. So, we know that from Acts 2, we know that from Acts 10, we know that from Matthew 28, all these things. 
This was not a baptism in the name of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Yes, sir. That's right. Brother John said, yeah. Once these men passed away, that gift of laying on them hands and passing on the miraculous gifts was no longer around. We know that from 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. And we can have a whole other study on that if we want to, talking about what, why the gifts ceased, why the miraculous gifts ended. And we could talk about how that's, we got the word. We have the word now. We, we don't need the gifts to know this is from God, to know the revelation of God, to know the absolute truth of God. Very good point, sir. Thank you very much. And that is true. Pretty much, if you hear somebody saying today that they're miraculously healed, you can say they're a false prophet, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 Very good. Yeah, we, we, we have uh, talents that we have. We're born with God-given talents. We have things that we have to realize we can do that God has given us. But the gift of the Holy Spirit is through the Word, understanding what He wants for us, working out our salvation, and putting our lives in service to Him. All these things are part of that. Good point. Yeah, if you got somebody on TV saying they can heal you miraculously, you know they're probably a false prophet. Well, I shouldn't say probably. You know they're a false prophet, right? I just saw the commercial the other day again about that pop-off guy about the miraculous spring healing water that you can order for 50 bucks or something on TV and you get a little thing of package and how the people that were drinking it were, were all of a sudden healed. Wow. I need some of that, actually. Jolene could use some of that. Anyways. All right, so something was wrong with the, the baptism that these men had gone through, right? <clears throat> something was lacking, or why would they need to be rebaptized? Why? And here's another thing since Paul was rebaptizing them, I think baptism must be pretty important, don't you? Somebody might may say, well, Paul said he didn't come to baptize, he came to preach the gospel. Well, then why would he care about rebaptizing anybody? Right? <laughs> Makes sense, right? It's pretty important. So we should conclude then, if an earlier baptism lacks something, we need to do it. We need to be rebaptizing. Someone needs to be doing that again. Well, what is, when, when then, well, that begs the question, when is a rebaptism appropriate? Well, 
Let's think about that for a minute. There's probably about four things that you might want to think about, consider, if you need, before you're rebaptized, if you were baptized before and you think, well, maybe one of these was lacking, all right? And of course, one is the burial, the immersion. Obviously, if you were sprinkled as an infant and that was the only time you've been baptized, or I don't know, I don't know if older folks get sprinkled in these other denominations, maybe they do, you might need to consider that. Romans 6, we are buried with him in baptism, crucified with Christ, raised to newness of life. He lays that out so well, that picture of what baptism is. It's a burial. We are buried with him. Shedding off our old lives, raised to newness, and really our lives become his life. It's no longer our lives to live, it's in Christ. We are in him. We are disciples of Christ. How about proper authority in the name of Christ? Acts 19.5, we just read it, being baptized in Jesus. Matthew 20.19, being baptized in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. Yeah, there's an identity factor there of who's in control. I've had discussions with those who didn't believe this, and when I go here, that's what they say. Well, this is just an identity thing. They need to be identified with Christ rather than John. And I'm thinking, well, if you don't care whether they're baptized or not, why do you care to rebaptize? What difference does it make? Who cares? You know? There's an authority issue there. What about the proper purpose? Acts 2.38. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. 22.16, Paul is told, Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It's for remission of sin. We are buried with him, raised anew. We come in contact with his blood, and we are washed clean. And, of course, the proper subject just talked about that. Acts 8.37, the eunuch, he said, What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Exterior 38, repent ye and be baptized. A penitent believer, it has to be a penitent believer before it's a true baptism. <clears throat> we talked about that a little bit too last week, right? How when you were a Jew, when you were, became a Jew, how did, how did that happen? I mean, you were, you're pretty much born into it, right? You were born a Jew. And young boys at the eight days after they're born were circumcised that was kind of the sign that was the sign of the of the old covenant that god had with his people but in the new covenant we believe in him we understand he is god we understand we are sinners we don't necessarily understand everything about god his nature and all those things we don't necessarily understand all his truths but we know we need his sacrifice his sending of a son for us to have hope and that's when we become christians we have that faith we know him that way babies didn't know the lord when they were born into israel they didn't know about the lord that's part of that penitent believer we know about the lord before we become his children before we're born into his kingdom into the kingdom of heaven so there's a big difference there right and that's not just for jews as peter found out in the household of cornelius it's for all, all races, all people. All right. So when one of these elements is lacking, rebaptism is commanded. All you got to do is go to Acts 19. Here we have the proper authority missing 
from their baptism before. They only knew the baptism of John. They did not know the baptism of the gospel, the baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even though their previous baptism had the right mode, right, immersion, had the right purpose, mission of sins, had the right subject, right, penitent believers, right, but rebaptism was commanded. So we see just one of these things here caused these men to need to be rebaptized. So, applying what we've learned here, if you're rebaptized for, by sprinkling or pouring or by the wrong authority, or perhaps because you thought you were already saved, it may be that you need to be baptized again. All right? We have the sprinkling and pouring. You know, that's practiced by many denominations, Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Methodist, and others. And then we have the baptism that's lacking the proper mode, you know, that's through those denominations. And we also have the baptism by authority of someone else that you might see in some of the cults, right? Jehovah's Witness, the Watchtower Society, Seventh-day Adventists with L.G. White, baptism in L.G. White. Some Mormons, you know, they got some issues with who they're baptized into. So it's funny, you'll, have a, you'll talk to somebody, a Mormon, and they'll say, well, I was baptized in Jesus Christ. And then you read their doctrine, and it's totally different than that, you know? So there's issues there. And then those who might have been baptized thinking, well, I just prayed God in my heart and I was saved, which we have no example of in the Scripture. And they were only baptized as a confession of their faith or as an example of showing that they believe. There's issues there, right? All these things, if that's the way you were baptized, perhaps you need to think about it. Perhaps you need to think about being baptized again. Now, I'm not going and saying everybody in here needs to be rebaptized. And that's what some of these cults would say. The Seventh-day Adventist, Ellen G. White, said that she had no issue with someone who had fallen away coming back and being baptized again. Right? We don't see that in Scripture. You go to Simon the Sorcerer, right? Simon wanted that miraculous gift of being able to lay on his hands with people and give it to them. He was a sorcerer. He was a magician, right? He said... Give me that, give me some of that miraculous stuff. And what was he told? Repent. Repent and ask God to forgive you that he doesn't hold the sin against you. We don't see an example there of him having to be rebaptized. So that's not something that's part of this. That's not something that we have to do. Children of God are part of the kingdom. Sure, they can fall away, they can backslide, they can go away, but that doesn't mean they have to be baptized again to come back in back into the fold. And that's how we practice that here. What we're talking about here is a prior baptism and what was going on when that occurred. All right, so if you were baptized for one of these other reasons, if you were not a penitent believer, then perhaps that's something you need to think about doing. Now, as I've said, we've met with folks who've come here and said, well, I was baptized in a Baptist church, or I was baptized in another church, and the first thing we're going to say, well, why were you baptized? Well, were you baptized for remission of sins? And if they say yes, then we have to go with that, right? We have to say, okay, well, we under, you, I hope you understand that that's not what their doctrinal statement is on that, right? And many times some will say, yeah, I know, but, but, uh, but uh, I, I was baptized for remission of sins. I know I was. And we'll plead with them and say, are you sure you don't want to be baptized again? I mean, what's, what could it hurt, Right? 
what is the big deal about being baptized again, you know? I mean, if it's not valid, you're just getting wet, right? But we'll ask that question, making sure we want those to be saved. We want people in the fold here. That's part of the job of an elder is to guide and shepherd, make sure you are on your way to heaven. Many might have been baptized, right? Because that was what everybody else was doing. Or someone may have been baptized because a spouse or a fiance wanted them to do it. And so perhaps they got baptized to please that spouse or fiance or boyfriend, girlfriend, rather than because they were penitent believers. Some things to consider. Now, I'm not saying just because you got baptized because somebody else did it is wrong. If you're a penitent believer, there is, if somebody else is doing it, go do it. Why not? You need to do it. And sometimes as teens, perhaps, as young folks, that might be the motivation finally to get them to do it. They know the gospel. They're believers, right? But if that's the only reason, if you really didn't think you were a sinner, if you really didn't think you needed that, then perhaps that's something to think about. If you think you did it because somebody else wanted you to, not so much because I was willing to turn myself over to the Lord, then that might be something you need to think about. At least make it sure, right? At least make it in your own heart and soul and mind assurance that you have that salvation. All right, so in summary, if our baptism lacks one of these four elements, perhaps we need to consider being baptized again. Something that needs to be done, something that we know is essential to salvation. We're not going to sit here and lord that over you, though, and say, you better get rebaptized. If you think, if your heart, you're sure in your heart that you're saved, that you were baptized for the proper reasons, baptized in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Ghost, and really, today, if someone came to me and said, I was baptized with the baptism of John, I'd say, you're crazy. You know, and you need to be rebaptized if you tell me that. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> you're not saved. But there are people who think different things about that. And you have to consider, I can't get in their mind. Only God knows their heart. So I have to accept what they tell us. But I'm going to encourage that. That's the way they've been baptized. I'm going to encourage that they need to redo that. All right, so <clears throat> one more thought to think about this. Really, we say rebaptized here, but if the first baptism was not proper, if one of these things was lacking, then really this is, if you're, re, if you're rebaptized, this really is your first baptism, right? Because the other one wasn't really a baptism into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost for remission of sin. Make sense? <clears throat> A couple other thoughts. When we are baptized, and I already talked about this a little bit, that's it. When we're baptized with the proper modes, we don't need to be rebaptized after that. All you got to do is read Acts 8. In fact, got a couple minutes. Let's just go over there real quick. And let's read about Simon the sorcerer and see what he says there. Just so you know. 18, Acts 8, 18, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. 
You've neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. And by the way, even though you become a Christian and all these things, your heart cannot be right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray God, and perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I say that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So we see this example of Simon being restored after he had his heart was not right with God. He's restored. He repents of that sin. And they pray for him to be forgiven. 1 John 1, verse 9. You don't have to go over there, but I'm going to read it real quick. <clears throat> Turn 1, verse 9. Actually, let's do verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, and he's speaking to believers here, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You see, as Christians, we constantly are being cleansed by the blood of Christ. We continue to walk in the light. Yeah, we're going to sin, but we're turning from that sin. We're constantly growing. We're constantly becoming more like Christ, who's the only man who lived perfectly. Becoming more like him every day, consistently washed in his blood, confessing our sins, being willing to tell others what we've done to talk to him confess our sin to him and to say lord i need your help i'm a sinner i can't do it alone forgive me for my wrongdoing we have that assurance through that right we have that assurance so if you were not baptized for some one of those one of those modes of, of baptism were lacking then that may be something you need to think about being baptized again and if that's the case, today's as good as day as any. Just come and talk to me about it, or any of the elders, or Kyle, or whoever, and we'll discuss that with you anytime. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, Debbie's saying she deals with that in the prison ministry. A lot of women say they, they've been baptized, but not for the right reasons. You weren't baptized into Christ. Absolutely. All these things. All right. Well, I don't want to belabor the point too much longer. Um, know this. You can have assurance for salvation. You can have the peace that comes with that. And don't, don't, I, don't I don't want to say this to you and say, well, well I don't know. I don't, I don't know now, you know. I mean, if there's doubt, that's something you need to consider and pray about it. And perhaps you do need to be baptized to have that assurance. But you can have it. And there's no reason not to live with assurance. All right. Thanks for being here. Our time is up. Next week, we'll start a study on creation.